This is Smart Politics, and I'm your host, Anthony Arnold. The first three episodes have focused heavily on an ancient history, from the most basic concepts of democracy to the democracy of ancient Greece and even a little bit of philosophy. And that kind of historical understanding is really useful, but it's not the entire story. A few hundred years ago, democracy exploded in many ways, quite literally, onto the world scene. All of these theories and ideas that we discussed that had been lying dormant for thousands of years suddenly became not just relevant, they became the spine of an entirely new set of ideas about how the world should function. Why? Why did liberty, why did freedom and democracy catch fire? That's the question I'm going to explore on this episode, but I won't be doing it alone For this episode, I'm bringing in Francine from the start. I don't think we're going to provide every possible answer to these questions, but I do think our conversation will help you start asking the right questions about democracy. Let's begin. Francine, thank you for joining me. Thank you. This is going to be a fun one. I have questions. I've loaded this you is up. Gonna be, this is going to be a fun one. I'm a little, I'm a little scared of the questions. Uh, but, like, but like I'm on a hot seat, I think. Uh-huh, yeah. That's yeah. okay. That's, that's okay. I'm speaking for the people. Speaking for the people. Let's for, do it. For, first question out of the gate. How yeah. did we get, how did, frame how we got here. What, what, what was the scene? Paint the scene for yeah. us. Yeah. So let's paint a picture of what things were like sort of right before the American Revolution. Just like the story we're told taxation without representation and we were being oppressed and then there's like the eh, maybe that's not entirely accurate and here's a maybe slightly more accurate so i was saying before we start recording and i'll and i'll say it again now the standards of living in colonial america had in many ways surpassed great britain mm-hmm. so the, the country who was presumably in in charge of us presumably theoretically the answer to them. I don't think that was the plan, here. though. That, that was not the plan. <laughs> right. Right. That wasn't the plan for us. They thought that you know we're still under their thumb, and in many right. ways, the conditions here had surpassed theirs. So, if you look mm-hmm. back, things like uh, the birth rate was higher here. People were having more kids because they needed kids to like work the the mm-hmm. big, huge parcels of land that you were able to get because right. land was cheap here. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to a place like London, land was cheap. Mm-hmm. So we were having more kids. We were having more immigration. Pay was generally higher. Working conditions were generally better. Infant mortality rate was lower. Taxation, which is, really? you know. All of that's yeah. different from the, you're yeah. making, the, you're making the, col- the colonies here in America sound kind of like a sweet deal. I mean, they were a really sweet deal, right? Like, mm-hmm. Great Britain was offering uh, both tax incentives, mm-hmm. but they were also, for a long time, they didn't really enforce taxes very heavily on the colonies. Like, if you look, we were paying a lower tax rate than they were paying in Great Britain at the time. Why is that? Uh, how, did we, how did we get away with that? Because <laughs> they wanted to encourage people to come here, right? Because, okay. you know, you got to ride a ship, you got to pick up everything, and then you mm-hmm. got to take a boat. And mm-hmm. it's like not a, there's like a chance you're going to die on the boat. And get some scurvy going on. Yeah, right? there's just a chance you'll <laughs> die on the boat. Right. Then you get to America and there's a chance you could die from disease or you could die in like a border conflict with the Native Americans at the time. So there's mm-hmm. like another chance you might just die. Mm-hmm. So, there are, so there are some risks. There were some risks. It wasn't like easy work, you know, mm-hmm. farming and, and running a farm and working the land. I mean, that's, it was like backbreaking labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
You know, if you were doing certainly, if, look, if you didn't have slaves to do it for you, it was like backbreaking labor. Speaking uh, of slaves, well, how did that whole thing really get pop off here? Because if people are just coming here to get their start, how did they get to the point of affording slaves? How did all that happen? Uh, well, I mean, again, because they were like they were. I mean, they were cheating the crown. Like, like, oh. like people were getting rich because they were cheating the crown. Like that's. Uh. Um, that sounds so American, actually. It was super American, right? Like I said, <laughs> you know, we were so we were allowed to pay our taxes with like uh, agricultural product instead of, okay. and then we would, but we would send them like the the low tier agricultural product. Like we're not sending you the good corn. We like keep wow. the good corn for ourselves, and then wow. we would like send Britain the stepped on corn. <laughs> like, what's wrong with what's wrong with this corn? Look, man, this is this is the best we can send you. Well, then they charge us taxes based on what they get. So then we were cheating them. And look, we just kept cheating them. Like we were cheating them on the taxes. Things were much better here than they were in Britain. In many ways, things, things were better. And they were, Britain was mostly okay with that. And then, well, so then I said, then the seven years war happens. So this is the war between France and uh, France and Europe, France and England. And what's the time frame? Great Britain. So this is right before the American Revolution. Seven Years' gotcha. War is like 1750s. Okay. So we're talking right before the American Revolution. So the Seven Years' War happens, and then in the aftermath of that, England has a bunch of new colonial territories in North America because France mm-hmm. had to give all that up because they mm-hmm. lost the war. And then all of a sudden, they have all this new land to manage, and they also need to pay for the war they had just fought. So they have so, all this new land here right. in the colonies to manage right. that's uninhabited by their colonists. Right. Okay, got right. you. Okay. They got new land to manage and right. they have to pay, they have debt problems. Like they have debt problems. Anyone who's sort of familiar with like some of the other revolutions that occur will know like like debt was a big problem in the French Revolution. It was like the mm-hmm. crown was actually broke as shit and had run <laughs> France into crazy debt. And they were like, oh no, man, it feels like you broke. So Sign, maybe cake right. was all and they it, had, you know? <laughs> I mean, the crown was broken in debt. England had run up debt. They had both run up debt in the Seven Years' War. Right. And so right. all of a sudden, they said, you know, American colonists, we, we need you to sort of pay pay what you owe. Ah, okay. So and the American colonists were like, I don't know. We haven't paid what we owe for like 150 years. I feel like I'm not going to pay it now either. <laughs> what you going to do? <laughs> Come get it? Don't pull up. Yeah. So they you didn't go, pull you, up. Right. <laughs> right. So. They're like, you, how about you come take that tax money? And that's basically the American Revolution. So like, we had this sense of entitlement <laughs> over the paying the lower amount of taxes or at least manipulating the value of taxes that we should be paying. And then yeah. when the crown really needed the money as they expanded their holdings here in the Americas, which probably includes part of the mainland and maybe some island territories. They now want money so they can stabilize their holdings, right? Yep. And and they have become really dependent on American imports, things like corn, tobacco. They have become really dependent on us. They have become dependent on things like the gold that was coming from the Spanish colonies. This This is what Spain ran into with the Spanish Revolution. They'd all become really dependent on their colonial imports. They had built their economies around American imports, mm-hmm. imports from their colonies. Mm-hmm. So you had this situation where the quote-unquote mother country, the crown, is really dependent upon us for, for, for imports. Mm-hmm. They are really, they're unable to enforce their own tax policies. They can't really do anything militarily because it's thousands of miles away across the ocean. 
Right. They have these governors and mayors who don't really listen to the crown because, as I said when we were off air, what are you going to do? He's right. not coming, homie. Well, we will throw you into the ocean right now. Right, right. So, so there goes that allegiance right. to the crown, right? So okay. the governors and mayors aren't listening to the crown. The crown right. can't enforce itself through the military policy. It's heavily dependent on imports. And all of this leads to when they did eventually try to enforce the rules, we were like, nah. We were pretty good with the old setup. So then how then we, we get th- this, this positioning starts to take place. Everybody's sticking their chest out, pay us our money. What money? You know, so now we right. got this thing. And, right. and the bad news is now we have a lot of rich colonists, right? Yeah. Yes. We got people of- who have means now of right. their own. <laughs> To maybe even become bold enough to create their own militias. Right. That's what had happened. They had a lot of money and they had then we the crown gave them incentive to create their own militias and say, no, you know, we we're going to protect ourselves. We're not going to go along with what we think is this unfair law that in in many ways probably wasn't. I mean, we spent a lot of time on this, but I'll say as like a side note. So this is like so the thing I'm reading now. So in 1680s, the auditor general, this is like. Uh, from Virginia, reported that the, the quantity of unmerchantable leaf, this was tobacco leaf, passed upon tax collectors was so large that the revenue had dwindled almost to nothing. Because they were getting tobacco leaf as payment for taxes, and so much of the leaf was like bad. It was like unusable. Wow. Like, in 1686, the King of England tried to repeal the statute that had given legal validity to using like agricultural products, and then it went so poorly that two years later, they had to restore the law. So, like, they were unable to, like, they were literally, like, completely, almost completely unable. So, they weren't really to able to. Their tax revenue. They weren't able to, they were no longer able to manage these particular colonies. Yeah, they just couldn't do it. Right. Yeah. They wow. couldn't do it. And then when they tried to, yeah, we have a bunch of rich colonists. And as we covered in the previous episodes, these people were lousy oligarchs. George Washington was crazy wealthy. Mm-hmm. So we have a bunch of really, really well-off oligarchs who are managing huge tracts of land. And who also have ties, both who in have Britain ties. And, and in right. the colonies, right? Okay. They have ties. These people are well-read. They know how to frame an argument in the best way possible to say, well, this isn't really us rebelling. This is tyranny. Mm-hmm. So they're able to frame the argument. They have connections. They have friends with the crown. They have friends here. They have large tracts of land. In a way, didn't it, it, the it, British it, colony create their own? Right. It, but like in a world where, so like Thomas Jefferson had slaves and Thomas Jefferson had a plantation and Thomas Jefferson presumably grew tobacco. Mm-hmm. But in a world where like Thomas Jefferson has to pay his fair share of taxes to the crown, he's just going to lose a lot of money. <laughs> he has like a really... Like, they had a really personal reason to not want to pay taxes. Well, sounds like a person today who might not want to pay right. taxes. But, they're like, okay. I personally... But they're not a hero. They don't have their face right. on the side of a mountain. Right. Like, <laughs> they personally were benefiting from cheating their taxes. Like, like I don't... That's part of what this was about. Wow, this we, whole episode is cheat your taxes, create a nation. Okay, gotcha. I mean, it'd be very silly for us to, like, not read into part of what they were mad about was that mm-hmm. really rich people who owned huge tracts of land that grew things like tobacco and cotton and sugar and corn mm-hmm. were being asked to pay what they had probably been cheating for decades and they were just mad about that can i ask you something if if yeah. it hadn't because because now it sounds like it's all boiled down to money if this if the crown hadn't been so persistent and pushing yeah. for these taxes and perhaps found another more constructive way to expand taxes into their new territories. 
yeah. our new tax system into their new territories. Do you think the American Revolution would have happened? No, no. Really? Because it, no, I, I mean, I, when I was a kid, it was about the principles of freedom and creating a nation, one nation under the Republic, under God and all of that. So you're saying it was just born out of, out of the, the need to not pay money. So where did the narrative, where did that point come from? I think, is there like a chance it would have happened eventually? I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think at that time, it's pretty clear that like what was happening was that the crown was really trying to increase their tax collection. Gotcha. Gotcha. And All right. I don't think it would have happened at that moment. No. So this, this um, because everybody a... mostly wanted to avoid the war. We did so... not. We wanted to avoid conflict initially. And the crown wanted to avoid conflict. We know this now because we, we can look back at both the letters both sides were writing to each mm-hmm. other at the same mm-hmm. time. We can see what the crown was writing internally. Like, mm-hmm. what were their representatives saying to each other, members of parliament? Right. What were our members of government saying to each other? Mm-hmm. And it's clear when you look at what everybody was writing at the time, mm-hmm. nobody really wanted this to go to war, but each side kind of thought the other side would pull the trigger first. So this becomes a war that's not really, it starts between the crown and oligarchs, but it's fought by common yes. people and some yeah. slaves. Yes, how how did it go from how did it make that transition from i mean granted yeah. there were oligarchs who were involved like washington of course great yeah. generals who led yeah. uh but how did it turn into um the common man's war the early founders and framers were really good at shaping they were i said they were really well read mm-hmm. and they were quite talented at shaping their arguments in ways that made their rebellion sound more idealistic than it probably initially was. And there were ideal, there were idealists among them. They weren't like John Adams has, I said, where he had like a lot of money, but he wasn't considered like a real, he, he was not considered elite in the same way that the other elites were. Mm-hmm. They kind of looked at John as a little bit of a strange, strange duck among them all. <laughs> um, so there were idealists. I think Adams was more of one. I think in some ways, even like a Hamilton was more of one. But some of the founders really were idealists. They had took the readings of like a John Locke. They took that stuff very seriously. They had been educated by these uh, Scottish philosophers. We're not even going to get into all that. But there were these, they had come to this Scottish philosophy school and they had really taken to heart these ideas of freedom. So there were some idealists. Not all of them were idealists. Um, like Jefferson, I don't, Jefferson is not an idealist. If you look at what he had, if you look at what he had written at the time, it's clear that he, he was like a pragmatic, very practical man, very practical man. He was not an idealist, uh, mm-hmm. not a fiery idealist, kind of kept his thoughts and his ideas played it close to the vest. There's a biography of him called the American Sphinx about, because, you know, a Sphinx is essentially <laughs> unknowable. A, right. Exactly. <laughs> like just a riddle and, and, so, that's, and that seems true because he didn't talk a lot right, according right, to historical right. notes right whereas uh i think washington was a bit of a blend washington mm-hmm. had a ton of money but mm-hmm. he also really had great admiration for like ancient roman generals and like these ideas of character and honor and those things so there was this weird alchemy of idealists and pragmatists who sort of came together and they both found common cause. The idealists could see that there's something and there is something tyrannical about the crown trying to tell us how to live from thousands of miles away. But, but how did it become that tyrannical, unreasonable when it was a reasonable request before and it only became unreasonable yeah. when they wanted what was due to them? I'm not trying to like say yeah. all about the redcoats, but yeah. no. how much I wonder how much. Sometimes philosophy can become romanticized in yes. our times. Yes. And I wonder what kind of impact 
all of the philosoph- uh, philosophical readings. You know, we talk about we talk about Socrates before, and we talked yeah. a little bit about Plato, but Locke, uh, uh, yeah. who was mentioned by several people. What type of impact did these philosophers of old have on these contemporary leaders pre-Revolutionary War? The impact those people would have had, right, is that there had started to be the idea that, like, maybe there is a better better way. And that is in part because of the things, some of what the Crown had been doing were things like, like we mentioned off-air, like the Star Chambers, which is essentially the idea that the court and the Crown are inseparable. Mm-hmm. So there were the problems of the star chambers. There were the problems of like religious tyranny mm-hmm. of like the crown and the church are the same. So the crown is both the church, the crown, and also the courts. <laughs> and they're like, well, that seems really which bad. Is, which is interesting because we're, some <laughs> of us are starting to embrace some of that now. But. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> like, it is tyrannical people. But so like there was this idea like, well, you can't worship under the crown and the crown is also the court. So you can't really fight them in the courts and you have no legal recourse. There's no such thing as due process or a right to counsel in the star chamber. All that stuff did not exist. Mm-hmm. So because of some of the things that the crown was doing that really were like tyrannical, these seeds had been planted that maybe there's a better way to do this. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a different way to do this. Gotcha. Gotcha. That starts leading people like a lock to come up with a better way to start doing the sort of writing that, mm-hmm. that, these people would read, at least in the Scottish philosophy tradition mm-hmm. that a lot of our founders came up through. I, I, I don't, I know some of our founders were educated by more Scottish philosophers and went to like Scottish school of thoughts. And then it had kind of just laid dormant because the crown hadn't done anything to the colonies that could be framed as outright tyrannical. It was just sort of like this annoyance, but then they do things like, well, we're going to institute soldiers we're going to like mm-hmm. make it so you have to take soldiers into your homes. Right, right. Now let's talk about that and also something around yeah. the printing of certain materials. Let, let's, yes. Let's kind of go into the space now because we go yeah. from words like a quiet standstill where people are trying to interpret how this might turn into something yeah. to really having the British crown start to make some moves. Can you yeah. kind of like elaborate a little bit more on yeah. that? The first printing press arrives in America. I don't know if people know this. The first printing press arrives in the 17th century. I believe it was when the first printing press arrives here. Uh, and it is the Gutenberg. Yeah. 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 The 17th century, the first printing press arrives here. People want, because of the Bible. The establishment of a printing press means that things like John Locke, when he's just coming around, can be distributed in a way it never could before, which is a big, huge difference from what had happened in the previous thousands of years of human history. Like the printing press is still probably, it is obviously one of the most important innovations in human history Mm -hmm. because of what it allows. You know, the Mm -hmm. idea of the press is, you think about what we call the newspaper, the press. I mean, it's it's a reference to the printing press. Right. It it only exists because of the advent of the printing press. So you get the printing press in the mid-17th century, which means that when the philosophers come around, when people start making these arguments in public, they can be distributed. This leads to, yes, people like Locke being much more well-read than someone like Socrates or Plato could have ever imagined because it could just be distributed. But it, it, you know, it leads to things like when we eventually get around to the constitutional project, the Federalist Papers. Mm-hmm. Those are able to be distributed to people. People are able to see, well, why are we doing this constitution thing? What does this mean for you? People are able to participate in the public square because... So this really starts the politicking yes. of ideals. Yes. Yes. In America. 
You know, it's yeah. not like a candidate against a candidate. It's a government against the government yeah. or a government yeah. against the potential. Yeah. Government. And so these ideas can be distributed mm-hmm. and then they are distributed and wealthy people with time and money are able to read in ways they never could before. Mm-hmm. They're able to read old ideas and they just start doing that. That's one reason why the early framers are so well read because of things like the printing press were, were enabling them to do this on a scale that you never could have done it before. And just to be clear, those printing presses were really renowned in printing out, I forget what they were really called at the time, but like these leaflets. They were kind of like, like one almost sheets. one sheets or almost cliff notes of ideas. Yeah. And people who were wealthier then would seek out whole volumes of books so they would travel yeah. to actually purchase. Pamphlets? Yeah. Well, huge. Yeah. The pamphlet stuff was a huge, like we don't think of pamphlets anymore. Right. It's, just, it's just not a thing you see people using. Right. But pamphlets were actually really the, the way ideas were probably most distributed exactly. was through the use of pamphlets back then. Because they were like right. those little short, they were easy to print and they were pretty right. quick and small. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. And that's how a lot of these ideas were initially yep. introduced. So we, now yep. we have the introduction of, you know, the press primarily meant for the Bible, but now it starts sharing these, people are using it to share yep. these radical ideas yep. about government and structure and freedom. the crown and freedom. And, yep. you know, and, and so now we come to this crossroads of who we want to be, who we want our identity, what we want our identity to be beyond just being an extension of the crown. You know, these colonies felt in some ways abandoned, right? They didn't get a lot of attention that other colonies got, which could have been seen as good or bad. Yes. And so all this sort of starts forming. I mean, I think a lot of this, like most people, I think, I mean, are probably familiar and passing at least with like the Stamp Act of like 65. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thing that really is like, well, this why don't you go and really... express it? Express it because I don't want it to just be us. Uh, yeah. Like, so, <laughs> so well, so you know, the the Stamp Act was great for trying to like raise money. It was like really like we need to raise revenue, and Literally, it's because of the yeah. stuff we had mentioned previously. Right. We need to raise revenue because we just had this really expensive war, and they kept and doing things like that. Right. Yes. Yes. They wanted to pay. It was to pay for British. They wanted to station British military in America following the French and Indian War, in part because they had these new territories that they needed to integrate and protect. Mm-hmm. So, and militaries cost money. Militaries cost money. They were afraid of France retaliating and trying to take their stuff back. Right. So they were like, "We're going to charge you to station troops, and you have to put those troops in your homes." That is where things turn to tyranny. So then mm-hmm. this happens. Then you have these ideas that have long been out there with printing presses and pamphlets, and they're not able to control the, the press. Like they weren't able to control the press from Great Britain. They weren't able to tell the American pamphleteers what they could and could not do. So mm-hmm. you get things like no taxation without representation. These mm-hmm. aren't able to be. So all of this technological change and world events like the Seven Years' War and the way that that war changed how Britain was going to handle its colonies, that all comes together. And now you have a really rich group of people who have access to a press that they never had before and can frame their ideas how they want to frame them, able to convince the common man in a way that was never possible before. And you have the direct thing of, like, we can focus this all on, like, the troops are stationed here now. You know, I think one of the things we had talked about was it's not manifest destiny, right? There was no God-ordained world in which America happens. It was this weird combination of, like— Things coming, all these things, forces coming together at the same time, right? Right. And it, and it, you know, like that's what history is. The people who know me know how much I love history because it's often like these weird 
like seemingly unconnected things. Mm-hmm. But then you look back and you go, oh, this thing led to that thing. And then mm-hmm. that thing led to this thing. You're like, well, mm-hmm. Great Britain and France arguing in part over their colonies like that. Like they all they knew their colonies were lucrative. So, so they went in each other's colonies because they were so right. lucrative. Right. They start fighting over this. And then Britain does this thing in response to the war. And then that combines with this other thing. And it all sort of... It melts down into together. what sets the stage for what we now know. Right. And then the you're American looking for a spark, right? Right, right. You're just looking for a spark. And, right. you know, the spark is like Christmas addicts. Yeah, yeah. Right? First one looking down, for a spark. Right. right. And then some soldier who will forever remain nameless who no one no one knows who the guy we know who the guy that got shot is no one knows right. the name of the guy that fired the bullet <laughs> some soldier who was probably in over his head and probably right. had no real idea what the hell i'm doing stationed on a dock why the hell am i protecting tea this seems ridiculous like <laughs> i don't even want to be here good point so. shot back in the day where soldiers could have hit the broad side of a barn it's probably miraculous he even hit somebody soldiers could have named for shit back then (laughs) these weren't sharpshooters like and some people have speculated that the uh, that this these there were a combination of sparks but that certainly was one of them yeah yeah um was probably more accidental than intentional but nonetheless added to the flame that was already starting to flicker so now, now you bring us to a point in in this series where everything's happening so fast right so we're yep. we're we, we're gonna engage on some level we know against the crown but we still don't know who we are yet so that's that's correct. an interesting place in which to be correct and that's where they realize like the the fire has been set and we are now pretty much going down this path but we're not we don't actually know like what's on the other side of this yeah for we're us. Gonna, right we're right. kind of we're going by the seat of our pants here. Mm-hmm. We're going to be free from the ground. What does that mean? The various colonies <laughs> within themselves don't necessarily agree to right. how they should be governed. I don't want to jump too far ahead in your series, but. No, I mean, it's 100% true. Like uh, Thomas Jefferson and the Southern, the Southern states had very different ideas of what freedom would be than the Northern states. Uh, from the beginning, they had some very different ideas and some very heated discussions about freedom and even the definition of what a man was yes. Yes. Uh, in order to declare freedom. And on top of that, what a citizen was, what a voter was. I mean, it was yes. a far different yes. definition than we can imagine today. Yes. And so everyone's sort of going by the seat of their pants. Everyone's trying to figure it out as they go. Right. And but can you imagine that? Just like it's going a rough. yeah, you you're fighting with people. You don't really know how this is going to work out for your family. No, so. no, like they have no idea what's happening. I mean, look, like George Washington almost didn't even make it as leader of the of the Union Army of the yeah. American Army, like the Colonial Army. He almost got bounced like more than once because he just kept taking L's repeatedly. Like I don't know, man. There there was a there was a stretch there through like Valley Forge where it was like I don't know. Are we sure but George is the guy? Also, there were also questions about allegiances at that time. You understand that he and others they were yep. educated. They weren't educated yep. here. Their roots yep. were not here. Yep. So there were always these questions at that time that I don't think we truly appreciate or understand outside yep. of maybe when we talk about people who immigrate to this country. But yes, yes. So they're all figuring this out. Mm-hmm. And then they start looking at these old ideas, the Plato's, the Socrates, 
the Greek and Roman philosophers who came after them, the philosophers of modern times, the locks, mm-hmm. they start looking at these things, trying to shape this as they are going. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea that they had this grand sort of idea that they had always been forming over decades and they had been tuned. That's not what was happening. They were like, I don't know, man, we got to have a government in place. It's It's like like, the people are coming. So we got to put something on the table. (laughs) Right. Right. And so that's kind of how this comes together. I'm not saying they were totally winging it, but right. Right. It's good that, you know, the good news is that they were researching the paper as they were writing the paper. They were still writing the paper. Like, I don't know, man. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's what you do. You're like, look, (laughs) I'm not quite sure how the end of this paper is going to go. I'll figure it out when I get to the end. Right. I think you just commit to writing it. You know, it's going to be written. You just keep writing. I figure it out. You know, (laughs) you're reading. (laughs) We've all been there. That's kind of what they were doing. But you know, what's so interesting. Even, even during that time where they're starting to take up forces against the British empire, there's still this talk about representation internally. Yeah. Like who's, who gets to come to the table. Yes. And that was where a lot of, you know, what we talked about in previous episodes comes around to matter because they, they had looked at this idea of democracy, oligarchy, and monarchy. They had looked at these as the big three. And this is where they get the divided government, the republic style of government. They get these different branches They wanted to give each of these an outlet in our government in the hopes that none of them would be so powerful that they could sink it on their own Hmm. because they were really, they were, they were leery of like pure democracy. That's not like a, I'm not breaking any news here. There's a reason they didn't make us a pure democracy. They were, they did not want that. Mm -hmm. That is is not what they wanted us to be, but they also, they didn't want us to be a pure oligarchy and they didn't, they definitely didn't want us to be a monarchy. Well, there were probably some selfish reasons why they didn't. There were some selfish reasons. They were all democracy. Yeah. Like, like, again, George Washington was worth an incredible amount of money by today's today's estimate, $700 million. Like he was wealthy as hell. So they didn't want a pure democracy. Right, right, right. So our initial leaders were all. Yeah, they were super wealthy, very well off, and they didn't want a democracy. But they didn't want a system where they purely had all the power. That's not what they created either. They did Mm -hmm. give the people some power in this system. And then they have a president who is very clearly more monarchy, you know, who doesn't necessarily have to answer to much of anybody and wasn't even directly elected by the people at all. Right, right. But isn't it true that they drove some of their cues from Washington, who was reluctant? I mean, yeah. uh, And wanted to, you know, his hesitancy may have impacted the way that others approached Uh, that office. uh, It is a borderline miracle that the first person who was a president decided to leave. (laughs) It is just like the most miraculous, improbable thing that he was like, nah, I'm good. I mean, he could have he could have stayed president forever. Right. I don't. I but he don't know set a precedent. Cr- the president <laughs> set a precedent. Right. 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 And that's just historical good fortune mm. that the first person you put in charge was just willing to leave. There's just you right. got lucky. Yeah. 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 Lesser and, men would not have done that. And we've been lucky as a as a country ever since. In a lot of ways, all kind of yeah. 
tied back to that thing you talked about early, the manifest destiny, but it's really yeah. just about these certain things kind of lining up. Yeah. Opportunities. So, you know, you get lucky and, and, you know, sometimes circumstances precipitate the arrival of like a great person. And sometimes you just get lucky and like the right people sort of stumble into the, stumble into the play and just when you need them, you're like, oh man, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't God. quite sure who I was going to have to fill this role, but thank God you showed up when you oh, did. Oh boy, you're I like, was just about really to call lucky. you. Like, I was like, who, who, who do I need? You know, we're fortunate that Lincoln shows up at the Civil War. Mm-hmm, a leader mm-hmm. shows up that's able to call us to the better angels of our nature when we needed someone mm-hmm. to do just that. Not right. a perfect man, but probably a perfect man for that position at that time. Yes, right. yes. The mm-hmm. man met the moment. Sometimes that happens, you know. Mm-hmm. The civil rights movement is about the right combination of people showing up right when we needed them to. Yeah, yeah. It's not that the circumstances were so much different than they had been. It's not that we had learned so much more about the horrors of racism and Jim Crow. It's that the right group of people showed up at the right time and there was the right precipitating event and they knew how to take advantage of it and make it something else. And that's sort of what happens with the American Revolution. We have the right group of people who put the right ideas on paper and it was a close thing. You know, they they made some compromises, the three-fifth compromise. They made some literal compromises to like get this thing over the finish line. Yeah. Uh, and those compromises were ugly. Yeah. They exclude certain people from voting. Mm-hmm. Women non-landowners, mm-hmm. people of color, those things were ugly. They were all done with the purpose of getting this thing just over the finish line. A democracy where only the oligarchs can vote. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what they created, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it, And yeah, mm-hmm. it, those are ugly things. Uh, mm-hmm. They were limited by their times. They were limited by their ignorance. They were limited by their desires. They did not want a system where they would lose a bunch of power. So where do you take us next after this pod? So after this pod, we're going to be leaping forward again because the purpose of this one was to sort of show how it happens in the first place mm-hmm. because it's always been like a weird, why did it catch fire, right? Yeah. And look, there's a lot to explore here. And I really, well, like people should really go, like do some weird deep dives into like the Stamp Act and the Seven Years War. Like you'd be surprised the way history sort of ties itself together sometimes in weird, unpredictable ways. But then... So from here, we're jumping forward to the 20th century again. So because remember, the, the initial focus of the first episode was demagogues, right? And now we're going to go. Now we're going there. The next mm-hmm. episode, we're looking at the demagogues as sort of the first part of the 20th century. So mm-hmm. it's Hitler. It's the Mussolini's. It's Huey Long here in the United States. It's maybe even someone like Senator Joseph McCarthy, though I haven't quite decided if I want to put him in that category. Though he clearly had some demagogue-ish type tendencies oh, and wow. ideas that's, that's right. about how government power should be used. Mm-hmm. He did mm-hmm. have some of those tendencies. Mm-hmm. So we're going to look at yep. the modern, you know, the early 20th century demagogues when like a, multiple democracies around the world lost the thread completely in the case of like Germany and Italy and almost lost the thread here in the U.S. You know, we look at, yes, a Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And we think he's this modern thing, but Donald Trump is do- isn't doing anything that Huey Long didn't do. Mm-hmm. And Huey Long may not have ever been president, but he was governor and he was a tyrant. And he's still held as a hero to some down. Right. Louis- you go to Louisiana. Yes, he and, is. You know, there are monuments and people who speak yes. well of him. And yes. So, yeah. Yeah. So he's we're going to look at the, 
the demagogues of the early 20th century, these personalities who broke multiple governments, who took democracy to that to that tyranny stage that Socrates had talked about, who took us there. And then in the episode after that, we're going to look at the resurgence of these kinds of thoughts. Because here we are in 2022, we have a president, a former president, we have a former president and increasingly a party, because I'm, I'm, I believe in calling it what it is. We have a former president and a party who increasingly are like hostile to democratic norms. I mean, mm. people haven't paying attention to what, just go look at what was tried in Georgia. Mm. People mm. were like breaking into election offices and hacking into machines. Like they wanted to find votes. <laughs> we know what that means. Let's not beat around the bush. Right, I mean, right. Right. Uh, so we're going to look at that. That's a scary um, time for dem- for democracy yes. as we understand it to be. We're going to look at that. Mm-hmm. We're going to look at the resurgence of a, <laughs> like Mussolini's relatives have returned in Italy, which is mm-hmm. one of those things that you just go, I thought. I know words. I thought we agreed the Mussolini <laughs> was bad. I thought we were all on the same well, boat that like of all the people. You can't let the Mussolini's back. Like, not literally the Mussolini's. I guess the biggest, I mean, the biggest question is what sparks the demagogue? Like, right. what opens the door for the return? Right. So we've seen the return of that here. We've seen the return of it in Italy. We have seen this bubbling up in other places across Europe. Because, again, the basic idea that, like, we were doing better than Great Britain, I think, would surprise a lot of people. But I think finally being, you know, getting some honest reads in the research that I've seen and what you've provided yeah. kind of have kind of yeah. reset the tone for me and helped me to understand that this war was not as clean cut as I thought it was. And there was not just, it was not just one-sided the way I was taught that it was. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And I on feel that note, <laughs> Thank you for joining me, Francine, as thank always. You for, thank you for teaching. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. And I want to encourage everyone to continue our discussion on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Like all of our shows here, this podcast is brought to you in part by Eliac Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians, and Pointcast News. To listen to any of our podcasts, you can visit our website at pointcast.news or subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcast. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And make sure you join us next time.